Now, we're in week two of this series, Prophets and Prophecy, and the motivation for teaching this series is that there's many Christians that don't know uh, much at all about prophets and prophecy, uh, but I believe it's important that we learn something about it because almost a third of the Bible is about prophets and prophecy, amen? And so last week we talked about what a prophet of God is and what a what biblical prophecy is, and then we concluded by talking about why are prophets and prophecy so important to us today? And uh, and for those of you who weren't here last week, we concluded by talking about there is a promised blessing for all those who hear, listen, and obey biblical prophecy. In Revelations 1 and 3, it says God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy, talking about the book of Revelation, uh, the church, and he blesses all who listens to its message and obeys what it says for the time is near. And so the more we read, learn, and obey his prophetic instructions, the more blessed we'll be. How many of you want to be blessed? It's an IQ test, right? And so what's important to remember is that God uses prophets in prophecy not to confuse us or neither to, uh, to control us or scare us. God uses prophets in prophecy to inform us and to uh, comfort us, amen, and to equip us for what's lying ahead. So today I want to talk to you about the greatest prophet that ever lived. Whenever you hear uh, or if somebody would ask you, what would you say is the greatest prophet that ever lived? What would you say? You know, most of us would answer, you know, uh, you know, some might say Moses because Moses, you know, he was the one that delivered the children of Israel, saw the parting of the Red Sea. Some might say Elijah. He called fire down from heaven, you know, and some might say John the Baptist. He prepared the way of the Lord. And some might even say John the Revelator. I mean, he's the one that got all these revelations of what what's going to happen at the end. But all, all, all those prophets, of course, are great and they're, they're mighty men of God. They're not the greatest prophet. Amen. The greatest prophet who ever lived was Jesus. And so, you know, we normally don't think of Jesus as, uh, as prophet. It's one of the most overlooked offices that Jesus holds, that he was prophet, priest, and king. Amen. And so sometimes we don't think of Jesus as a prophet, but, uh, you know, we know him as master, as savior, as Lord, as the Messiah, the son of God, the good shepherd. But many times we don't, we don't recognize him or embrace him as prophet. But how many of you know he was the greatest prophet that ever lived? And, you know, in Revelations 19.10, it says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, right? You can't separate biblical prophecy from Jesus. In fact, Jesus has always been and always should be the central focus and the main subject of biblical prophecy. Anytime we look at prophecy and we study prophecy, it should always point us back to Jesus. Are y'all with me out there? At least 129 times in the Old Testament, the prophets predicted details about the life of Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled every last one of them. The prophets predicted Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. The prophets predicted he would be betrayed, and he was. The prophets predicted he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and he was. The prophets predicted he would be pierced through his hands, his feet, and his and his side, and he, and he was. The prophets predicted that that none of his bones would be broken, and none of his bones were broken. These were prophecies about him that came to pass. In fact, Jesus prophesied more than any prophet who ever lived. 
If you take the time to study just the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would find that 39 prophecies in just the book of Matthew. Mark lists 40 prophecies. Luke describes 45 different prophecies. John, more than 60 prophecies came from John's lips. None of those were, or some of those were parallel prophecies. But the point of it is that, you know, there's approximately a 100 prophecies that Jesus gave himself in just three and a half years of ministry. How many of you know Jesus was the greatest prophet that ever lived? Hands down. Many of the prophecies Jesus uh, of Jesus have already been fulfilled. You know, some were fulfilled within hours of him giving them. And then there were some that came to pass during his lifetime and still others came to pass years after his death. For an example, you remember when Jesus uh, was going to the cross and this little lady poured this this jar of expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. Y'all remember that story? Those who were there rebuked her for wasting this precious oil and, and, and told her she, had, she should have just sold it and helped the poor. But Jesus had none of it. And notice his response in Mark 14, 6. He said, leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, we read that story, and sometimes we don't get the prophetic utterance that was given right there. But in verse 9, it contains the prophetic utterance of Jesus when he says, I tell you the truth, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I'm fulfilling that prophecy this morning by just telling you that story. See, none of the Gospels were were completed until at least 30 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Yet when Matthew and Mark sat down to write their their words of of the Gospels, they included this story. And so now wherever the Bible has gone from that time on, this story is being told. And so now 2,000 years later, the prophecy of Jesus is still being fulfilled every day. How many of you know he is the greatest prophet? Remember when Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed? Remember that? This was in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 31, on the way Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other, all the other disciples vowed the same. I don't even know they were lying. Just a little while later, when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, we see the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus in verse in verse uh, 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. A servant girl, servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean, but Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later on, by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing by, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. 
A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, I curse on me if I am lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Somebody said that rooster was a prophet. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Peter went went away weeping bitterly. Why? Because he was reminded of the prophecy of Jesus. Jesus said, before this day is over, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, right? And in Matthew 28, 1, is, is maybe one of the most powerful of all fulfilled prophecies that Jesus prophesied. He was predicting that he would rise from the dead. And in, in chapter 28, verse 1, it says, on the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for him because of fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He is not risen. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. You know, we hear about this story for Easter, and sometimes we don't get, just as he said he would, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, specifically on the third day, wasn't a mystery. It wasn't a secret. You know why? Because Jesus had prophesied, and he had allowed his followers to know exactly what he was going to do about his resurrection. Nobody had been resurrected. He said it would happen. How many of you know, if Jesus says it's going to happen, you better believe it. Amen. And Matthew recorded Jesus prophesying his resurrection in Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus predicted his suffering in his resurrection. Now, if Jesus could predict his resurrection, how many of you know that's a prophet you need to believe in right there? But you know, today, people get enamored by prophets, so-called prophets today because they might have said something that came to pass. Folks, there's no prophet. There will never be a prophet like Jesus. Amen. He is the greatest of all prophets. Now, how do you know if someone is a true prophet of God or not? Remember, we talked about, I think, that last week. The answer is... The Bible gives us the practical test of a real prophet of God. How do you know if a prophet is a prophet? Deuteronomy 18.20 says, But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name, who speaks in the name of another God, must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? Verse 22, If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen, or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. I mean, you know, that's pretty clear right there. The prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. So if a prophet says something that doesn't come to pass, that's a false prophet. Are y'all, are y'all, y'all hear me? If a prophet prophesies and it comes to pass, that is a true prophet. Amen. Now, remember what we talked about last week concerning the importance of prophets and prophecy. Prophets and prophecy 
helps us to understand current events and what's going on in the world today. Prophets and prophecy also helps prepare us for the future, knowing what God is planning to do futuristically. So you and I don't have to be in the dark. We don't have to live in the dark about what in the world is going on. Amen? We can know. Are y'all with me out there? This great prophet Jesus has revealed God's plan for the future. And that's why as a Christian, when you watch CNN News, when you watch Fox News, when you read the newspaper, whenever you Google search, whenever you see, you know, news feeds on your phone, you should have a perspective that people that don't know the Lord have. Amen? Why? Because you should frame everything going on around you in the framework of the great prophet, Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, the same Jesus that predicted his resurrection from the dead... On the third day, I mean, he was specific, right? Also predicted our future. And he also predicted the church's future. He also predicted the world's future. He told us what's going to happen. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? How many of you just got scared right there? Remember, prophets and prophecy is not to scare us. It's to inform us. It's to equip us. It's to get us ready for what's coming ahead. Amen. Now, listen, there were many things Jesus predicted that came to pass, either in his lifetime or shortly thereafter. But listen, there are also things that Jesus predicted pertaining to our future that have not yet been fulfilled. Jesus predicted things that hasn't happened yet. And if, listen, so if Jesus predicted he was going to be raised from the dead, and he was, if Jesus predicted all these things about himself and, and it happened, shouldn't we put stock in what Jesus says is going to happen futuristically? You better believe we should. So now in Matthew 24 is an entire chapter that is dedicated to, to Bible prophecy of future events. And this chapter was written hundreds of years before our day, but it talks in detail about what's happening today. Now, in this chapter, the disciples asked Jesus three questions. And so we're going to look at those. In, in Matthew 24, and in verse 3, it says this, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, the first question the disciples asked Jesus is this, when will this happen? Now, what was he talking about? Or what were they talking about? They were referring to the statement that Jesus made, had just made in verse 1 and 2 concerning the temple being destroyed in Jerusalem. Let's go back and read it for just a moment. In Matthew 24, 1, Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now get the context of what just happened. They bring Jesus and they said, Jesus, look at this magnificent building. They were awed by it. They were proud of it. And they said, Jesus, look at this building. And he said, oh, it's going to be torn down. What? He said, yes, not, not one stone will be left on another. It's going to be torn down. So you can imagine their response. Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, Josephus, the famous historian 
who has written more history outside of the Bible than anybody else and has credibility by, by most and almost all scholars and, and theologians. He said the temple was destroyed 40 years after Jesus predicted when the Romans invaded Jerusalem. And now you can go to Jerusalem today and you can see that the temple was complete. The old temple was completely destroyed. And they said, you know, they had gold all over the temple. And so robbers and thieves came in and they were trying to get every little piece of gold out of the temple. So they were just turning over every stone they could, exactly fulfilling what Jesus said. This is a fulfilled prophecy made hundreds of years earlier before it happened. And you could go to Israel and see the results of it. But the second question the disciples asked Jesus was, what will be the sign of your coming? Now this statement, sign of your coming, in the Greek, it means sign of your return presence or the sign of your or your return presence. So the disciples were really asking Jesus, how will we know when you will be returning? What signs should we look for? What signs should we look for that will give us a clue that you're returning? Remember, Jesus had predicted his return in John 14. We read it last week in verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Jesus said, I will come back. Folks, do you know that Jesus is going to come back? In John 14 and 3 is a prophetic claim of Jesus himself. And he said, concerning his return and his coming, he said, I am going to come back. How many people are living their lives not having a clue that one day Jesus is going to come back? Just as he ascended into heaven, he's going to descend back on the earth. Now, the third question the disciples asked Jesus was, what will be the sign of the end of the age? That was the third question. The end of the age doesn't mean the end of the physical world or the end of the earth. Rather, it means in the Greek, when are you coming back to take over, to take charge of this world and establish your dominion and begin ruling and reigning in the earth? How many of you know the devil has only a short time to do what he's going to do? But one day it's going to be all over, right? And so these are three questions the disciples asked Jesus. First question, referring to the temple, has already been fulfilled. To the other two questions referring to future events, listen, has not been fulfilled yet. So Jesus uses the rest of chapter 24 to answer the disciples' two questions concerning God's plan for our future. And he gives them specific signs of his coming. You remember he said like the fig tree. When the fig tree starts budding, you know spring is near. And he said, when you see these signs, just like you know the season is near, when you see these signs, know that the season is near. And so seven prophetic signs of his second coming and the end of the age he gives us in Matthew 24. The first one, the first predicted sign of his coming, he says, is spiritual deception will get greater in the world. And that's what he says in verse 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. There is what is called spiritual deception. 
And people in the name of God will, will teach things that are not accurate, that are wrong. And unfortunately, some people will buy into it and they will chase it. You know, like we were talking about last week, this guy that says, Jesus is coming back in 88. It came and left. I think it was in 2011, I think. There was another guy that said, Jesus is coming in 2011. 2011 came and went. How many of you know that's false prophets? But people put more stock in these people that write books and they're out there than the great prophet Jesus Christ. Listen, if you don't want it to be deceived, you got to put your stock in the great prophet, Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me out there? Jesus says, don't let anyone mislead you. Spiritual deception will increase more and more as we get closer to the coming of Christ. Matthew 24, 24, he says, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now, warning, don't chase signs and wonders. Don't get all wrapped up in miracles. God does miracles. God does signs and wonders. But don't chase manifestations, amen? Why? Because false Christs and prophets will show great signs and wonders. And through these signs and wonders, they're going to be deceived and they'll be misled. Don't chase manifestations. Are y'all hearing me out here? Don't chase manifestations and miracles. I, listen, if you hear about somebody in Lafayette that raised the dead, just because they raised the dead doesn't mean they are of God. Are y'all with me? The second pre- predicted sign uh, Jesus mentioned is increased hostility in the world between nations. In verse 6, he says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Notice that he said, don't panic. Christians shouldn't panic when you hear about wars and rumors of wars. You shouldn't freak out. That's another translation. That's the Menorah translation. Jesus said, don't freak out whenever you turn on the news and you hear of wars and rumors of wars. There will be an increase of wars across the world as we get closer. You know, you might have seen the bumper sticker that says, pray for world peace. Have you seen that? Well, listen, bad news. There will never be world peace until Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on the earth. Amen. It'll never happen. How do you know that, Todd? Because Jesus predicted that it wouldn't happen. And I choose to trust him. What about you? In verse 7, he says, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against nation. You know, nations in the Greek is ethnos, meaning a race or tribe, especially referring to non-Jewish people. You know, the terrorist war is really not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. And so a lot of things that we see, it seems like it's a political problem or it's a leadership problem. No, it's really a spiritual problem. The kingdom of darkness is coming against the kingdom of light. The third predicted sign of his coming is there will be an increase in natural disasters. In verse 7, he says, And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places, various places, many places. So famine means hunger caused by a shortage of food. Pestilence means plagues or diseases. And then earthquakes, of course, means that the plates of the earth shift, causing a shaking of the earth on the ground. 
And so, you know, the seismologists, or however you say it, the, the guys and the gals that study earthquakes, they say that earthquakes have increased 7,000% since they've been tracking it and studying it. They're saying it's increasing. Well, Jesus said it would. He prophesied that it would. And how many of you know it is? Now, we've always had famine. We've always had, you know, disease and earthquakes. But what Jesus says is there will increase as we get closer to the times. So whenever you see craziness going on in the world, know that Jesus said it's going to get crazy, y'all. Now, I know he didn't use the word y'all, but that's, you know, it's, it's going to get crazy. Matthew 24, 8 says, but, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. So he says, whenever you see this ramping up, no, it's just the beginning. And so Jesus compares the signs of the times to labor pains. Now, two things we know about labor pains. Ladies, two things y'all know, mothers that y'all know about labor pains is number one, they increase in frequency. And number two, they increase in intensity. And all the ladies said, and so what can we expect about the signs? We can, expe- we can expect for an increase in frequency and an increase in intensity. Amen. They won't get better. They're going to get worse. The fourth predicted sign of his coming is increased Christian persecution. Matthew 24, 9, he said, They will deliver you to tribulation, and we will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Question, has that, is that happening today? Not in America, though, right? Yes. Yes, it's getting worse. Pastors are getting, are getting arrested in America. So why will Christians be persecuted? Well, Jesus says simply because of my name. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you identify with me, you're going to get persecuted. Listen, if you don't want to get persecuted, Christianity is not where you should be. Come on, I need a better amen than that. You say, well, Todd, what? what?" Uh, Jesus said, as we get closer to the end, people are going to hate us more and more. I'm encouraging you this morning, right? Listen, all you have to do to be persecuted is just to live a devoted, godly, and separated kind of life. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul told Timothy, he said this, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Don't be shocked if you get persecuted because you're a Christian at the workplace or you're a Christian at school and people make fun of you and they laugh at you and they laugh at your convictions and all of that. That's going to happen more and more. That's what Jesus said. Come on, y'all help me preach this morning. The fifth predicted sign of his coming is a falling away of many Christians. In Matthew 24, 10, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and, listen, even hate one another. Wow. Persecution will cause many to turn their backs on God as well as other Christian friends. But I believe a spiritual purging will take place as we get closer to the end. It's going to be less popular to be a Christian. And Christians will begin, you know, hating each other and 
turn in their hearts. Their hearts are going to get cold. They're going to become unloving. They're going to be calloused. Listen, a falling away of many Christians is a spiritual sign that we are getting closer to the end. So listen, it's not time to play games in Christianity. Amen? We don't need country club Christianity. What we need is sincere, full-on, devoted, committed, sold-out men and women of God that are saying it doesn't matter what I have to endure, I'm going to serve Jesus. Amen. That's what it's going to take, right? And so the sixth predicted sign of his coming is violence, crime, and immorality will increase. In verse 12, it says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Lawlessness means having no conviction of right and wrong. Everything's gray. You could do it or not do it. You could, if it feels good, do it. How many of you know that's not Christianity? You, it's not a feel good gospel. It's, it's law and it's grace, but it's not all grace. It's law. There's right and there's wrong. I need a better amen right there. I might need to preach on this a little bit. Folks, there always been a standard that Jesus has set. There will always be a standard and you and I can't change the standard. Jesus said it and we got to abide by it if we want to be born again, Bible believing, sold out believers. Amen. Come on. Y'all believe that? If you believe that, say amen. So lawlessness means having no conviction of right or wrong. Lawlessness also means rebellion against authority. There will be an increased disdain for any kind of authority. And that conviction is, you're not going to tell me what to do. Does that sound like our society? Well, listen, as we get closer to the end, this is what Jesus said would happen. People's unrestrained hearts will be given over to crime. Has crime increased? Absolutely. You know, they used to wait till you left to break into your house and rob your house. No, now they see you home. They say, okay, I'm going in. He's home. Come on. That's, that's crazy, isn't it? Hatred, rebellion, violence, and immorality is going to have an ever increasing way. Now you're probably saying, Todd, I came here to be encouraged. Why am I telling you all of this bad news? Here's the reason why. Remember Jesus said these are signs or indications of what you can expect when we get closer to his coming in the end of the age. See, the, Jesus had a reason for telling us this. Now let me get you, let me get to the good news. How many of you want, oh, it's about time, brother. Come on, get to some good news here. Here's the seventh predicted sign of his coming. A spiritual revival will take place. Come on, that's what motivates me right there. A spiritual revival will take place. There is hope for all of us that hang in there. Amen. Proverbs, or Matthew 24, 13 says, but the one who endears to the end will be saved. So I believe as we get closer to the end, Jesus will have a tried and true spiritual bride. Amen. Come on. I mean, you're not going to be serving God unless you're serious, right? And there will be in the last days people who are totally sold out to Jesus. Those who endure means those who don't get discouraged or give up on Christ. 
Listen, in the world you're going to have tribulation, Jesus said. But be of good cheer. So listen, don't ever crack the door open. Regardless of what you go through, don't ever crack the door open that there's a way out. No. Put your hands on the plow and keep plowing for Jesus and don't look back. Amen. If somebody kills you, they just promoted you. You're not going to have to pay another bill in your life. You ain't going to have to swat another mosquito. Amen. You won't have to deal with South Louisiana humidity. You're going to be promoted into the, into the glorious presence of God. Amen. Hang in there, baby. Don't give up. Amen. Amen. Those who endure, they will be saved means they're going to see the salvation of God in the land of the living. Amen. Spiritual revival will be demonstrated in two ways. Number one, it's going to be demonstrated through an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I really believe this. That we, Hey, there's a day coming when the power of God is going to show up in churches like never before. I think we need that. What about you? I think we need the presence of God like never before. But in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Jesus predicted it would get rough, but you know what? He also predicted that a revival would take place. Signs and wonders and visions and dreams through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the last days, God's Spirit is going to be poured out. I believe this like never before. I don't know how long you've been serving God, but I hear stories of like from Brother Francis and Miss Babs. And, you know, they were they tell the stories of the uh, like the uh, the renewal in the 70s. The spiritual renewal. And, and man, people were just so hungry for God that they just came. You hear about the revivals and the, you know, like, the, you know, the, uh, the Herbides revival and the Azusa Street revival. And then God's spirit just got poured out on the earth so great that bars were shutting down because nobody wanted to go because they were at church. Imagine that. Amen. Come on. The, you know, the, the clubs that promoted promiscuity and all this evil, they shut down because nobody would go solicit them. Amen. Come on. That's the kind of day we need in America today, right? Instead of people driving out Christianity out of everything, God comes rushing in like a mighty rushing wind. And all of a sudden, no school can contain it because every student is praying in the power of God. And every student is getting saved. Amen. Come on, aren't you looking forward to that day? Amen. So hold on, don't give up. But the other, the other sign, a demonstration of spiritual revival is through a harvest of souls. In Matthew 24 and 14, and good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. How many of you know this is already taking place? An explosion of evangelism across the world. Thousands and thousands of people are getting saved every day in places. In, in, in Africa, in one meeting, a million people 
are getting saved in one meeting. Isn't that amazing? And so listen, how many of you know that, 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 uh, the gospel will be preached everywhere? Jesus said the climatic sign that will release the coming of the Lord in the end times, the end of the age, is that the gospel will be preached everywhere. Amen. Everybody's going to get a chance to know about the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Then when the gospel has been preached to the whole world, Jesus said, then the end will come. Amen. Now, this is not the kind of cartwheel preaching that we like to preach and get everybody fired up. But what this does is it helps us in our spiritual walk. Amen. I don't see CNN news like I used to, right? Whenever I see all these fires going on in California and they call them holy fires. Yeah, that's what Jesus said would happen. I don't panic. I'm reminded that Jesus said in the end, it's going to be like birth pains. Increase in intensity and increase in frequency. Say, well, Todd, that scares me. Here's your option. Get off of the earth. That wasn't even in my notes. That's straight off the cuff right there. Amen. Right? But hey, we don't need to be discouraged. We need to be encouraged. Amen. Come on, we've been to be motivated that God says, listen, I'm not going to leave you in the dark. I don't want you to just, you know, wonder what in the world is going on. I want you to know exactly what's happening. I'm, I'm large and I'm in charge and I'm in control of everything you see out there. Ain't no president, ruler, king or any, any nation or anybody in charge. I'm in charge, the Lord says. How I many of you know he's in charge? Amen. We part of his family, so we're going to be in good shape. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me this morning? What's the purpose of knowing about all this stuff? There's three reasons why we know, need to know about that. Number one, so we can be informed and understand why the world is getting crazier and crazier. You know, some people, they see violence getting increasing and they say, what's the matter with God? Like, like he's getting overtaken. Folks, God is not getting overtaken. How many of you know that? God cannot be overtaken. He predicted this would happen. Don't let it move you as you see the world get crazier and crazier. So why did Jesus take the time to give us a whole chapter of the signs? Because he wanted us to know why the world's getting crazier and crazier. It's part of what he predicted. But number two, he wants us to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith and have endurance. And Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we don't grow weary. Man, there's hard times. People are going through hard times. People are having a lot of problems. I mean, the problems, it seems like, oh my goodness, life can be tough. Can I get a... A, a witness here, or is it just down Landry Road? I know it's not. Isn't that true? I mean, man, you just finish, you finish solving one problem and five more break out. But listen, Jesus said, don't give up. Don't give in. Hang in there. Amen. Hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Because we're going to be saved. 
We're going to be redeemed. And the third reason why he told us all this, I believe, is so that we can prepare, be prepared for what's coming. In Matthew 24 and 32, remember he talked about the fig tree. He said, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near right at the door. See, knowing that signs help prepare us to get ready for His coming. That's what He says, no, I'm right at the door. In verse 44, He said, you must also be ready all the time. You must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. When least expected. Like just before an incredible event. Boom, he's going to be here. So we need to stay ready. We need to stay prepared. We don't have time to take a hyenas of our spirituality. We don't have time to, to, to give room to backslide and to go back to the things of the world. Come on, we need to stay here. Come on, how many of you staying here with me? We got to stay here. We got to stay with the Lord. We got to serve the Lord. Come on. We can't let the glitter of the world pull pull us away. We can't let anything turn our head. Come on, we got to set our face like flint and be ready for his return. How many of you ready for his return? Would you do me a favor and just bow your head with me for just a moment? Maybe you're here today and you're not ready. You're not ready for his return. Jesus used several analogies where he says, man, you know, the door got shut and not everybody got in and people that got, le- got left out before the door was shut, they weren't able to get in. And, and the ten virgins, five had oil, five didn't. And, and the, when, the, when the bridegroom came, they didn't have oil. In other words, they weren't ready for his return. The last thing we want to be is not ready for his return. If you're here today and you say, Todd, I don't know if I'm ready for his return. I don't know if I'm where I need to be spiritually, but today I want to get ready for his return. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just lift your hand. And I want to pray for you. Thank you. I see your hand. Just lift your hand. I see your hand, sir. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else, just raise your hand and say, God, pray for me. I see your hand. Those of you that have your hands raised, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood so my sins could be forgiven and so I could be prepared for all of eternity. Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the great prophet and that you died for me. You shed your blood for me so my sins could be forgiven and so I could be prepared to meet you. Father, I pray, forgive me, cleanse me, come into my heart. Come into my life and be the Lord of my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless those of you that raised your hand. It's the greatest decision that you could ever make. Amen. Are you ready? Are you ready to go back out there and keep serving the Lord? Let me pray a blessing over you as we conclude today. Father, I pray for every family, every person in here. Lord, we know that, that God, you have, we have hope. That we have a glorious hope. 
But Lord, ye who, you who died for us to prepare us for eternity will also give us the grace to live out this Christian life. Thank you, Father, for releasing your power, your presence, your spirit, your favor, and your blessing on each and every one of us today. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here to pray. If not, God bless you. You're dismissed. You have a great day.